Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast, where it's time to party like it's 1999 as the Blues end their wait for an Anfield derby win. Kevin Campbell's reign's over. Make way for a new set of Everton Derby Day heroes. We'll be talking King Carlo, Colossus Keen and Pitch Perfect Pickford, as well as everything in between. Alongside me, Guy Clark, we have four Blues, who even though you can't see them, are grinning from ear to ear. Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, Sam Carroll and Gav Buckland. Preno, I'll come to you first up and uh, simply how sweet did that feel when the full-time whistle went? <laughs> it's been a long time coming this, hasn't it? I've actually had a comment piece ready, and I'm not exaggerating here, for about five or six years now, which I've dusted down, I've polished up and I've had ready to go, just on the off chance that we might win a derby match. And I genuinely believed it was never going to see the light of day. And so I wasn't really prepared for it to be published this weekend. I mean, I know in the podcast last week, I predicted a 2-1 win. Not for one second did I have confidence that was going to happen. I just couldn't bring myself to predict a negative result. But as the day progressed and as, as the game went on, I'll tell you the turning point. Turning point was Saturday morning when I got a text message of the last Everton manager uh, to win an Anfield derby match, Walter Smith. Now, that's a rarity. He only normally texts me. Gen- genuinely, four or five years ago was the last one. And he was uh, texting to basically to tell me off for calling me book, a grand old team to report. Why have I chosen a Celtic song for me book? But I just said to him, this is an omen. You've texted today, first day of all days. This is an omen. And it just started from there. Just started to get more and more of a positive feeling. And then, you know, so obviously the early goal, you're just thinking, could it be? Could it be? Phil articulated it beautifully, Phil Kirkbad is not here today, in the verdict that he produced about, you know, the hope that kills you. But in the end, yes, you know, so everything came together, everything fell into place. Uh, to scuttle upstairs to get that comment piece, you know, so finally published. And then I might have had a drink or two during the course of the evening, just to uh, just to toast it, as I'm sure my co-podcasters will have done also. So, yeah, all in all, it was. It was just a great, great day. It's a long time coming. we just got to make sure it's not as long next time before we can enjoy the same kind of experience again. But no, all in all, thoroughly, thoroughly satisfying and enjoyable you know, day, stroke night. No, definitely. Weekend. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I don't think Adam, Adam and uh, Sam. I don't think celebrations have finished for you guys. Not sure what's in that mug, Sam, that you're uh, taking a, a swig from. But Adam, Adam, I know we put out a sort of celebratory, immediate post-game podcast on the the uh, Royal Blue Channel, and you even said within that, "I'm enjoying a pint while sort of talking over yeah. this." It has been sort of a, a euphoric time, a celebratory time for for Blues absolutely everywhere. Yeah, it, it was. It was one of them, really, for me. Like as soon as, as soon as I got home from the stadium, I was getting myself, I was getting myself a pint in celebration because, you know, my, my time reporting on Everton, I've not been reporting on Everton all that long. Uh, in all fairness, but from my experiences of going to Anfield, I've had that mad Pickford one in the last minute. I've had a five-two defeat, and I've had a defeat in the FA Cup to the kids. 
So <laughs> I've gone I've gone through a lot of despair already in my time reporting <laughs> reporting on uh, Merseyside derbies at Anfield. So this one just absolutely did feel so sweet and. You know, it, it, it kind of just sums it up. You know, it, there's a generation of Everton fans, probably, you know, a little bit younger than me, but, you know, there's a generation of Everton fans who've never seen Everton win at Anfield, which is absolutely bizarre. And it, it should never really be the case. And I think Carlo Ancelotti was the exact right man in the end to to try and turn that around. He didn't, I think I saw it summed up in one of the national papers, he didn't, he didn't play Liverpool, he didn't play the occasion, he just played, he played the game as he saw it. He came up with a tactical setup that was absolutely perfect for dealing with Liverpool, especially down there, left-hand side, you know, putting up a five-at-the-back system, making sure that all the service to the front three, you know, Mane, Firmino, Salah, they just hardly really got a sniff of the ball. They dominated possession, but they just couldn't really create many clear-cut chances. And when they did, Michael Keane was there, Jordan Pickford was there. And then going forward, Everton were as, as clinical as they needed to be. To be honest, they probably could have... Scored a couple more. Seamus Coleman's header at the end of the first half. Could have scored there. There was one in the second half where Richarlison weirdly didn't shoot where, when, I, when I thought he should have. He was in a very similar position to the position that he scored in. Didn't shoot and the chance went begging there. So, you know, on another day, we could have been talking about a 4-0 win at Anfield, let alone a 2-0. So, yeah, it was just... It just feels like an amazing weight off the shoulders now, you know. You, you know no longer will you be going to, into a... Like not even just a Merseyside derby, but like a bit a derby at Anfield, and no longer will you be thinking, ah, oh, there's just no way that Everton are going to win this. Like suddenly, suddenly it just does feel like oh, Everton, Everton can go in and they can just put up a put up a decent system that's going to be able to beat these. And you know, it did it did get to the point you know over the last few years where I just thought, ah, oh, it's just never going to happen, is it? You know, especially after that FA Cup one last year, you're thinking, oh, if, if we can't if we can't win now, then when are we going to win? But yeah, I think every, everything about that on Saturday, you know, the performance, it was just, it was brilliant. It was, I don't think, I don't think I'm over it still, to be honest. No, Sam, what was your emotion when that the full time whistle went and it, the wait was over? It made me quite excited to have kids because then when they're like, "Dad was having us the best day of your life," I'll just be like, "Nah, from me beat the two nil, I'm thrilled. Get away from me." And, uh, uh, and it's weird, isn't it? Because obviously, it sat there watching it just in in my pajamas, and and it's one of them that it, it's hard to have the emotions. But when 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 the shift was over and I stood up, I, I just let out a, a primeval roar of victory, as uh, <laughs> as some might say. Um, and, and I still can't. I don't know. Like even this morning, I'm saying before that I woke up and I was still uh, like weirdly, my first thought was, was that a dream? Did did we actually win? Like it, it's it's just one of them. As, as Adam said, that I had generally got to the point and, and Preno about his comment piece that I just assumed we were never going to win, and I'd just given up on it. I, I I used to just say, why do we even bother? All the funky ways we found to lose that game, we should have just wrote to the Premier League at the start of the season and been like, <laughs> left map for three points because we're not doing it anymore. But Carlo's changing that now, isn't he? And yeah, it, it was it was you know Preno saying that he had that feeling. When he got his, you know, obviously name dropping his mate Walter Smith there. So, um, but once we scored, it was weird. Uh, obviously, Liverpool have dropped off and, and they're missing some key players. But you know, I felt once we got to about sixty odd minutes, I, I I didn't feel worried that we weren't going to win the game. I think uh, you don't have to have all the possession of the ball to be in control of a game. We kind of had them exactly where we wanted them because we were saying, "Go on, you can have as much of the ball as you want. But you're not going to you're not going to score past our tanks at the back." <laughs> so. 
it, it was it's, it's genuinely one of the best days of my whole life. It, it was so, it was it was that good, and I'm and I'm buzzing. And but then, as Adam says before, at least now the derby's over. We don't have to play each other again until August at the earliest, which I'm sure both sets of supporters will uh, will be happy with. But that's definitely gave our season just that little jolt we needed because I think the Prem's that tight at the moment. You lose three games in a week, uh, which was obviously what the prospect we were facing, and I don't think you can come back from that. I think. It would have been tough, even though the league is uh, really tight at the moment. So I think that gave us the jolt in the arm, and hopefully we use that as a as a platform now. And you know, wasn't it great to see the scenes of Duncan running on and and the way the boys were, you know, even lads like Ben Godfrey who haven't been at the club for long, just buzzing. It, it was bottom, and I think we've all between us must have watched match of the day about forty times because I know I've watched it at least ten times so far. And, might get it on again after this now. <laughs> Gav, in terms of, obviously, it was missing the derby atmosphere of the fans inside Anfield, but even sort of from the, the first moment, it seemed to have sort of those old adages of derbies that Everton immediately, straight from the straight from the, the beginning of the game, put the ball up in the air, see if Kabak fancies it, gives away a corner, and sort of seemed to, from the, even that moment on, Everton get the tails up. Yeah, um, what was it? Six, probably the earliest penalty in Everton history, uh, corner in Everton history, wasn't it? Six seconds. Uh, can't think of. Uh, can't, can't think of anything quicker than that. Or you could get something quicker. Yeah, um, we were just testing the pull out there. We uh, straight away with the wind, um, and it worked. And immediately got a corner, and okay. it was on the front foot then. And we, the early goal was crucial, wasn't it? The, in the, the context of the game in terms of giving confidence. I said on Friday that I haven't spoken to a few people that there's a massive game for that, that for Liverpool on Saturday. It was you know we talked about it being important for us, but it was also massively important for Liverpool. It's obviously of their top of their I say top four aspirations, which are the same as ours. And um I felt that on Saturday that in some respects now we talk about playing the game, not the occasion. I got the impression on, on Saturday that actually the importance of the game got to them a little bit more than us. But yeah. it changed because there was so much riding on it uh, for Liverpool. Um, after three home defeats on the bounce and sort of moving outside the top four. It's massive for them to get in the Champions League. And and that early goal that we, we scored, that sort of reinforced that, didn't it? They were chasing the game then. I mean, picking up what Dadzi just said there about defensively, it reminded me very much of the, the Liverpool-Chelsea game in 2014 when Gerrard slipped at 1-0. You never got the impression that Liverpool were going to score. And there was always a danger that Chelsea would break away and score again, which he did near the end. And, and we did that on, on Saturday. And I thought, I thought the pattern of both, both those games were, were very similar. Um, which is testing me to how good we, we set up defensively. So, yeah, I, I can understand what the lads were saying. I, I played it quite cool uh, <laughs> at full time, um, yeah, would you believe? I, yeah, I, I did. I'd I, I, I said this on Friday. I don't want to say, you know, no crowds there does have an effect, but I, I'm still hugely satisfied now. And I'll tell you why. There's a couple of things. I it sets us up for the rest of the season. And two, most importantly, you won't see the benefits of this win until we next play Liverpool. No, Sam is talking about we don't want because the narrative, as long as I've been doing podcasts, the narrative of the derby has been it's X number of years since Everton have beaten Liverpool. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. There's a whole generation. And that's infected every sort of pre derby discussion I've had in my podcasting years. Well, next time you play them, 
that it's a completely different narrative, isn't it? Yeah. I think I actually it takes it away, and I, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, Prime. Yeah, and 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 that just just makes it better, doesn't it? Better as a fan, and yeah. it must be better as as a, as a as a club. Uh, that that you, you've got that, you know, you you can you rid, just rid ourselves of that sort of uh, poison, you know. And uh, I think we'll see the benefits of that when we next play Liverpool. Yeah, it's a hundred percent that there definitely is a, a positive psychological effect from that victory, and it's been replicated in history. That I mean, the piece I was talking about referenced, you know, two other long spells without winning derbies. One of which was famously 1984, when we've been 14 years without winning one at Anfield. Sharpie scored, and suddenly, you know, it's almost like, and that was a great team, admittedly, but we'd only started that season, you know, in up and down form. And from that moment, I think won our next seven successive games. And then just like the confidence that imbued that side because yeah. like the psychological obstacle had been lifted. And then likewise, when Joe Royal took over a team that was bottom of the league with seven points from 11 games that was absolutely toiling and won a derby match. And that was a, t- a spell when Liverpool were comfortably a better side than Everton and, you know, consistently finished higher than Everton in the league. And yet for five years, they couldn't beat us in a league game. And, uh, you know, we used to go to Anfield. And, OK, we got a bit of flack for being overly physical at times. I mean, the dogs of war. Uh, Roy Evans was certainly not a fan of, uh, of that approach. But for five years, they couldn't beat us. And, you know, it was it was like that was a, almost like a, an after effect of that derby win in 1994 that obviously Duncan was, you know, so pivotal in, in his first ever goal for Everton. So, yeah, you know, it can have a significant impact uh, in future derbies going forward. But also, as Gavin said, for the rest of the season, almost like a little bit of a springboard. There's like 10 or 11 days now to actually wallow in this sensation for the players to enjoy it. And obviously, as we saw from the dressing room scenes, they clearly did enjoy it. And just to let the significance of it sink in a little bit and then hopefully go again, you know, because it's a... Once again, as this season has shown, it's a very intense period with a game on the Monday, game on the Thursday, game the following Monday. But they've got enough time to prepare for that now. And hopefully the confidence gleaned from that can you know, can work, work in our favour. Adam, I don't know if the, the washing machine's playing havoc in the, the background or whatever. <laughs> I will come to you if you can try and talk over it. And just on the significance of the early goal that Gav was talking about before, of course, you were inside Anfield. Dave's been having an awful record at home. I know the history and the occasion, you're not going to get carried away, but could you see it in the players and sort of the, the impact even it had on Liverpool and obviously correspondingly the, the lift it gave Everton? Yeah, certainly. I, I think... Everton started the game very confidently, as you you know, as you say, you know, lumping that ball up in the first opening seconds and just seeing what Quebec was going to do with that swirl and wind around Anfield. Uh, I think that played havoc with a lot of players in the first half. To be honest, I think I noticed it happened to Luca Dean a couple of times with some crossfield passes over over the top of his head. But you know, he, he wasn't the only one, as I say. But and I, I just think Everton started off so confidently, got uh, got that early goal because of you know the the quality of. James Rodriguez and you know Richarlison's running behind and yeah I think you I think you're right as you say like I think probably from that point on in the immediate a- aftermath I think it kind of you know woke Liverpool up a bit I think it kind of spared them on and they were like oh my goodness right we've got to we've got to actually get started in this game now and see if we can see if we can get straight back into it so that was maybe that was maybe a bit of you know defensive work that Evan had to do but once they got through that that sort of period, it, it did seem to me as if Liverpool were getting very quickly frustrated by by the whole situation. Whereas Everton were, you know, they they were you know defending defending doggedly, of course. But I don't think they ever seemed panicked in any sort of way, and they never seemed 
too under pressure in, in those sorts of circumstances. I think, especially whenever Everton were trying to break up the other end of the pitch, I think Tom Davis was particularly uh, particularly great at this in the first half as well. He, he was just picking the ball up, turning in those tight areas in midfield, as we've been seeing him do over the last few weeks, and just spraying the passes out, You know, usually to Luca Dean over the, on that left-hand side, but Seamus Coleman was getting up the right flank as well. And there just seemed to be a very distinct plan that Carlo Ancelotti had been working on at Finch Farm throughout. And I think Everton just, you know, took that, took the confidence that came from that early goal and kind of ran with it. But I think even if they hadn't scored early on in that game, I think Everton's, Everton's confidence was still, still looked to be on a high from those opening couple of minutes anyway. So, you know, it, it maybe would have been interesting to see if Everton would have, would have, you know, continued to, continue to try and dominate in that sort of way and would have scored eventually, but I suppose that's not a point, really. You know, Liverpool, I think at the end of the day, Liverpool will be really disappointed with how how that opening goal went. You know, it did, it, you know, Ahmed Rodriguez does make passes like that look quite easy. Richarlison quite easily gets in behind Kabak, so they'll be disappointed with that. They'll be disappointed they didn't really create all that many clear-cut chances, but I think it was all down to you know Everton's game plan. They, throughout the game, they were just working hard for each other and for the badge on the on the front of their shirts as well. And you know we, we've we, we've all been sat here you know after Merseyside derbies at Anfield in the past, and we've said the exact opposite about Everton players. You know they've they've not really played for the badge. You know they've embarrassed themselves at Anfield, etc. You know this was this was the kind of performance that makes that will make Evertonians proud because you know they, that was that was everything that they wanted to see. We had all the fight and the desire that we want to see from a side in a Merseyside derby, but there was all the quality behind it as well. You know, some top-notch defending, some, you know, really good goal in the opening minutes, you know, just fighting right until the last minute of the game. And, you know, for all the for all the quality that Liverpool have in their players, I don't think they, they have those those kind of attributes on, uh, on Saturday, and that's what did them in the end. No, definitely, Sam. And word on Carlo Angelotti and... Adam referencing it there, the game plan he set up. We've seen, obviously, so many Everton managers take sides to Anfield and not get it right. But as Adam said, through different spells of the games, defending when they needed to, exploiting Liverpool when they could going forward, it did seem to basically have everything and tick every box, really. Yeah, I think the decision to to play Hammers a little bit further forward, almost in like a front two as well, paid off. And what I enjoyed most about that, that goal is kind of how simple he made that look at the start in terms of, you know, taking the ball out the sky and then the weight of the pass, you know, it, it, when you watch it back, he's got kind of a millisecond to even see the run of Richarlison and where he's going to go. You know, they were so kind of in sync for that. Um, and, and I think it's good as well that that game for me showed that, you know, there was a there was a tweet during the rounds, wasn't there, from, from one of the big kind of Liverpool fan accounts who basically called... You know, called Hammers out and said, "There's always one sign, and that starts great and then ends up, you know, being a, being terrible." And oh, I reckon he'll be gone by the summer and and all that. But you know, what stood out for me for that game was that, as Gav said, for, from all my years being on this podcast, we've been speaking about failed signings like Davy Classen and Balassi and you know, just just miserable stuff like that. But in that game, it just showed Everton in the summer. Carlo identified the positions. In the summer that we needed to strengthen in, we got James Rodriguez, we got Ben Godfrey, you know, who was outstanding once again. Um, and, and he's making them work. And, and for the first time now, you know, you're looking at Liverpool and you're thinking that Thiago doesn't look as good as everyone was saying he was going to be. And they have to kind of sign that Kabak, 
who struggled against Everton. You know, he seemed quite you know, what we've had to do in the past, the likes of Angali, you know, an emergency loan signing and things like that. So, you know, the whole game and, and the way it all worked out was just, was just great and, and perfectly summed up. You know why? It's 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 a topsy turvy season, isn't it? How fast things move from Fulham on the one weekend to Liverpool away on the next. So, um, but yeah, Ancelotti definitely got it right. All the tactical decisions came off. Everton definitely got a checkered record playing five at the back. Um, but I think then, I can't remember if it was one of the players you said or whether it was Carlo. You know, it was more of a four when we were when we were out of possession. I think wasn't it, and then turned into a five when we had the ball. You know. Knowing that kind of tactical awareness that he brings, and I think to win at Liverpool, to win at the Champions, regardless of the form they're in, everything's got to go right, and you know you've got to get a bit of luck, which we did, and and everyone's got to play, you know, eleven out of ten, haven't they? As as Adam says, for for the badge on the front of the shirt, and he did that. So literally the perfect game. I, I could watch the ninety minutes over and over again. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That was one of the things, wasn't it, Gav, was the tactical fluidity that the Blues played with because I think a lot of people saw Seamus Coleman and thought, oh, it's definitely a back five. He's there almost as a, a right wing back, a bit of a plugger. But as Adam said, he had that header. He probably should have scored it. He was getting forward. James was dropping on the left, going up front. It was everything sort of changing as and when it needed to, moving parts and I suppose more yeah. than the sum of their parts. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd said on Friday that I didn't think 4-3-3 was the way to play. Uh, I felt 4-4-2 and just get two players in around the, the centre of the full defence. That was the um, that was the main threat we had on on uh, on Saturday, and it was glad by Carlo listen to me. Uh, to be fair, um, <laughs> by playing Hamez just behind um, Richarlison, and then. Keeping a front two with the substitution for the for DCL, um, that's why me and Carlo are great managers. Obviously, um, yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that completely. I think where it did work was we had like a centre of three, and we had three in front. So whenever Liverpool got in around the edge of our box, they were faced by a block of six players. Weren't they? They found it really difficult to uh, to break through that. Um, and Coleman sort of what what that allowed Coleman playing. Wide on the right, it meant that um, Hamas didn't didn't have any defense, didn't need to have any defensive duties, did he? On that on that side, he could he could just flit around, um, and so yeah, I thought it was um, yeah tactically very cute by Carlo, but that's why you employ him on at the end of the day. Um, I, I, I certainly think he probably made a few uh, a few surprises in Liverpool changing room when they saw there was no Calvert Lewin, no Allen in the start lineup as well regardless of the, the 11 who started. Um, he obviously gave every signal going, didn't he, during the week that both of them are probably going to be beginning the game on Saturday night, but weren't. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty much spot on. But I like I like the Carvaloon substitution because that too made the goal, didn't it, really? 
Yeah, um, to be fair. And, you know, we also touched lucky bringing Sigurdsson on. Um, and, uh, you know, we, then we got a penalty. Uh, so, <laughs> touched lucky there as well. And Sigurdsson did well when he came on. You know, that's the type of game he'll do well. I mean, maybe he needs to keep the ball. And uh, he was excellent. So, yeah, tactical masterclass by Carlo. But you wouldn't expect anything else in those games. That's why I've been employing him. No, take us brilliantly on to the penalty there as well, Gav. I'll come to you, Preno. A lot of people saying it shouldn't have been a penalty, but why else would Calvert-Lewin go down if he wasn't impeded? A lot of people saying it shouldn't have been a penalty. Do they have uh, red tinted glasses by any stretch of the imagination? <laughs> um, at the time when I saw it, you think that, yeah, it looks a little bit soft because Calvert-Lewin's got like a tap-in, you know, it's an open goal, and he accidentally goes over Trent Alexander-Arnold's body. But the laws, you know, don't stipulate for accidental challenges, as poor old David Luiz found out uh, quite recently playing for Arsenal. You know, you can accidentally bring somebody down, and it's still a penalty kick. I mean, you could argue that Trent Alexander-Arnold was fortunate not to have been shown a red card uh, because he denied a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And that's just not me speaking with blue-tinted glasses saying that. That was... uh, a referee who's refereed a Champions League final articulating that view uh, in the media this morning. Okay, it was Mark Clattenberg. Yeah, we know, no, we know no. how far <laughs> history previously. But, you know, he's a fully you know, qualified referee who's suggesting <laughs> that uh, the referees were very, very lean, or the referee at the weekend was very, very lenient in the way that he dealt with it. I think what needs to be pointed out is that's only the third penalty that we've had at Anfield since the war all three of which have been down at the Anfield Road and not a single one has been down the cop end. And I can think of plenty of moments uh, when they could quite easily have been them. So, you know, it breaks you know, with tradition of actually get a penalty at Anfield. And, yeah, you can argue the whys and wherefores of whether it should have been given or whether it shouldn't have been given. Bottom line is, it was given, in my view, correctly. And uh, even if it wasn't, well, we still win the game 1-0 anyway. You know, so Liverpool still didn't score a goal. So I don't really see why it's become a talking point. It's almost like, Reds fans, you know, looking for a straw to clutch up because there wasn't really much else for them to go at during the game. Uh, a lot of things worked in our favour. The fact that there was no crowd, you know, so inside the stadium, would he have pointed to the spot quite so quickly if there'd been a crowd? Who knows? Have to wait and see. The fact that Jordan Henderson got injured as well, you know, so quite early on, you know, yet another central defensive problem for them. But it doesn't matter. We've had problems ourselves. And going back to the other team selection, I mean, Jurgen Klopp was interviewed pre-match. And um, whether he was just being disingenuous and whether he genuinely, you know, sort of didn't know whether Calvert-Lewin or Allen were in the starting lineup, he claimed that he didn't know. He asked the Sky interviewer, so, so what's the team? Calvert-Lewin, Allen both starting? No, they're not. Oh, Carlo, poker face. Whether he genuinely was, you know, sort of believing that, I don't know or whether Carlo was being quite cute and you know, did really reel him in and you know, sort of pick a starting eleven that he wasn't anticipating, who knows. But no, all in all, a number of things went in our favour, not least getting the penalty and not least converting it as well. Guilty Sigurdsson put it away, you know, so quite cleanly. And if he hadn't been on the pitch, would Calvert-Lewin have finally got the opportunity to take a penalty, you know, as he did so comprehensively well uh, for England and uh, the only opportunity he got to take one. So even if uh, Guilty hadn't been on the pitch, We'd still have buried it, and we'd still have won two. <laughs> I think there's, a, I think there's a campaign in there, Preno, for from you for DCL for for penalties. Because oh, I've said this all day. Yeah, long. No, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get, get, gets a good mention. Uh, Adam, yeah. in terms of the tactical plan, then, and that substitution, bringing DCL on, and crucially leaving Richarlison on. I suppose it basically shows exactly where Everton have been in trips to Anfield in derbies, having the uh, the bravery to do that, as well as not the naivety to leave yourselves open at the back. 
yeah, I think it was really nice to see, you know, in those in those final few minutes of the game, you know, whenever, as I said, you know, Everton would defend them resolutely, but I don't think they were ever panicked in any sort of way. But whenever we were trying to break forward, it was really nice to see, you know, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin both breaking forward together in that sort of sense. You know, it was kind of harking back to the, the good form that we saw, you know, uh, last season, you know, when Carlo first came in and we were playing that 4-4-2 system and they looked really strong in the partnership together. It was, you know, it was quite nice quite nice to see, you know, the, the the start of that relationship again because, you know, while Richarlison has obviously been playing so, uh, well on the left-hand side and Calvert-Lewin's been incredible leading the line by itself, I do still think there's there's scope for them two to work together as a partnership because I think they just they do just bounce, bounce off each other so well and I think it was perfectly summed up by, you know, the, the eventual winning of the penalty. You know, it was you know, a great ball from Davis who, you know, at the... Like he could have, he could have just picked the ball up there and just hoofed it anywhere, but he didn't. He looked up, saw Richarlison, played that pass. Richarlison, great show of strength to turn the defender. Got gets his head up quickly. Uh, Calvert Lewin absolutely burns Tr- Trent Alexander Arnold for pace, and then he's he's definitely brought down. And I, I just don't see. I can't understand how people don't see see it as a penalty. If I'm honest, because. If he's not brought down, he scores. Yeah, that's. So, I agree with you completely. His stride pattern yeah. doesn't change. He's he's going through. Yeah. There's an open goaler. Yeah. Maybe not be deliberate, but as Preno says, he's he's impeded him. It, it is a penalty. Yeah, that's the long and short of it. At the end of the day, and to be honest, like when when it was given as a penalty, I was I was sat there in the stands and I went over to Phil and went, "Is he not getting sent off for that then? Because you know, intent has been taken out the laws of the game. Now he absolutely needs to be sent off for that." And. Uh, you know, so I, I I think that's another one that's actually gone in Liverpool's favour rather than rather than anything, to be honest. And then, yeah, scoring the penalty was was great, but yeah, I think that that whole move kind of summed up what what I can I kind of do hope we get to see that more from Richarlison and Calvert Lewin in the next few weeks. Like I don't want to see that same system again, you know, from now until the end of the season because I don't I don't think it's necessary against some teams in the league. And I think you know Everton should have the sort of fluid systems that can you know work against different sides but uh, I would like to see a few more systems that maybe do place Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin up front together a little bit more because even before even before the Liverpool game you know in the game against Man City when Richarlison was playing up front I thought he played really really well in that game you know he's got he's got a lot of qualities that I think suit playing down the centre you know he's he is he is very physical you know despite what despite what some people might say about him spending too much time on the deck, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't agree with that at all. I think you know, whenever he's whenever he's on the deck, he's actually been whipped up. And uh, I think he's quite physical for for, uh, for the kind of player that he is. You know, he's clinical in front of goal when he's in this form as well. And, you know, I think if, if we do try and pair him with Calvert-Lewin in the year, in, in the coming weeks, I think it could be, could be hugely beneficial to us. Definitely. Other end of the pitch then, Sam, our goalkeeping expert. What did you make of Jordan Pickford? He's coming for plenty of, of criticism and we know his, his derby record, but he seemed to, to not put a foot wrong. Former professional goalkeeper probably works better than goalkeeper expert guy. But <laughs> it's it's, not, it's uh, not true. Is, is it not? Is it not? <laughs> You're not a professional. Um, no, do you know what? It was, uh, I, I was convinced he'd go with Olsen. I just think the you know, there was the Mermans, which obviously were true that Van Dyke was going to kind of be at the stadium. I know the lack of fans was taken out, but I just thought maybe he would be announced. 
and injured and you know obviously you played Pickford played the City game yeah yeah he did. Mm-hmm. obviously came back to the game but I just kind of thought he would ro- he might rotate and just you know take the question out because I was thinking what happens if what happens if a corner comes in and he spills it early on and, and they score you know it would be tough to come back from and obviously these are the questions you ask yourself when a goalkeeper isn't informed but you know that was the Jordan Pickford we saw you know in the 2018 World Cup that you know made himself not only a a star at his club, but also for the country as well. You know, such a key. You know, you forget how much of a key part of that run to the set World Cup semi-final Jordan Pickford was at such a young age. Uh, I think Michael Keane admitted, didn't he, after the game that the Henderson volley he thought it was in. You know, the footwork and the athleticism that showed. You know, he's a natural shot stopper. We know he can do all that. Uh, and then it was the rest of his game. I think then that was really impressive. Uh, you know, the footwork was fine, the distribution was good, he made the right decisions. Um, and, and then it all came down to that moment with Mohamed Salah, you know, the, the positioning, he got spot on, the way he came out and closed the space down. And then I think it was really brave as well of him to, to, to throw himself at that second ball and get it. So uh, for me, I think there's a, there's a very real argument for him to have been man of the match there. And I think me and Preno had always supported him. We'd always been in the Jordan Pickford fan club. And I think... Even us two are supportive wavered a little bit this season, but you know, if, if he keeps playing like that and he can get if he can start making that, you know, not just every couple of matches, if he can start playing like that every single game, make the saves, you know, we expect him to pull off a couple of worldies every now and again, but just be, you know, safe, secure, doesn't have to be doing anything too mad, then you know, there's no reason why he can't be Everton's goalkeeper for another ten plus years. You know, that that is the player we want to see, you know. We all still do love Jordan Pickford. It's just, you know, where we want to go as a club. You can't have your goalkeeper making mistakes and, and simple mistakes at that as often as he had over the last 18 months. But I thought it was a fitting reminder from him. Uh, and, and it was made up for him as well. Do you know, it, what it, the Origi goal, I think you, you can almost link that back, can't you, to where the problems kind of started for him a little bit uh, from there. But, you know... It, 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 yeah, a victory for Pickford and a victory for Everton. And I think there was, you know, another couple of performances in there. Michael Keane just looks like a totally different player, even when you think back to the 5-2 game. You know, he was pretty poor in that last season. He just looked 10 times the defender now, an absolute man mountain. Tom Davies is finally now, you know, going from being the lad who plays well every one, once or every couple of weeks kind of thing to being a consistent performer in that team and generally asking the question of, you know, where does Alan fit into that? You know, does he come in along Davies? Does he, have, you know, can Carlo genuinely consider dropping Tom Davies at the moment? And then you saw the class of Richarlison and Hamez. And so it did all come together, but definitely for Jordan Pickford, uh, hopefully now we see that form right through until the end of the season and, and he can help us to, to Europe and a, a little FA Cup victory as well. It'd be quite nice. Yeah, I don't know if you'll be able to cope with a, a trophy win and a, a win at Anfield in the same season, to be fair, Sam. But no, no we'll have to that's see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, I think I think yeah, that'll be the yeah. end of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, we've just found out when the nightclubs are going to be back open. So, after my birthday as well. Gav, everyone always remembers the goal scorers. It's Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson, whose names will be down in the the history books as the guys who ended the. 
wait for a win at Anfield. But Sam mentioned him there. How big was Michael Keane? And I know we've spoken on the Royal Blue podcast about a partnership with Yerry Mina over the last few weeks. But alongside Ben yeah. Godfrey, they were they were brilliant together. And Holgate, uh, can I just can I just clarify something about the penalty? Um, I can't believe there's any discussion about it. It's a penalty. And I, as, as you well know, on these occasions, I always defer to the laws of the game. So I, I'll read out the relevant passage from the law, which is Law 12, foul play. And as you well know, uh, penalties are awarded when you, you commit a direct free kick offence inside the penalty area. And, the, and I'm paraphrased there. Here's, here's a list. Uh, actually, I'm not. Here's, here's what Law 12 says. A direct free kick is awarded if a player commits any of the following offences. A handball offence holds an opponent, impedes an opponent with contact. Yeah. Now, that is exactly what yeah. Alexander Arnold did with DCL on, on, on Saturday. He impeded with contact. The fact that it was his head. You know, the fact that, he, he, as you say, he may not have wanted to. Is it relevant? He He's did have a go with his contact. leg as well, didn't he? Did have a go with his leg yeah, after yeah. he got but, past but as that, well. But, that, but that's, that's irrelevant. It doesn't yeah, say yeah, which yeah. part of your body. No, no. He impedes Calvert-Lewin, with contact, that is, by the laws of the game, a direct free kick offence. And because that, that offence took place the penalty, it's a penalty. I mean, this is what this is what I was watching that ref watch on, on Sky this morning. And, you know, and even when you watch telly coverage, just get you in the... And they probably don't want to do this because it probably stops uh, discussion. Just get the laws of the game out. Go down the list and say, yeah, that's happened. That's happened. Yeah, that's the penalty. End of story. There's no, there's no video analysis needed with that. It's a penalty. I don't, whether, know whether, whether should... I don't know whether I'm biased, but for me, it was the worst tackle I've ever seen. I've been for like six months. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, but he, his challenge got him that position. But it's just, it's a, it's just a penalty. It's just like, it is a very steep. That's why Cavana. I, I, I think the story is now is Cavana wasn't going to the... Um, the screen to look about whether it was a penalty. He was looking to see whether it was a sending off offence. Yeah. Is a believer is a now the, the story. Um, so it's a penalty. You know, there's no no discretion there or interpretation. He impedes him with contact in the penalty area. So it's a penalty, no question. Cavalier hits him. I think everybody can agree on that. Um, so he's impeded him. You know, end of story. Um, what do you make of Keen, way, yeah, Keen, Cavill- and, Keen and Godfrey? What do you make of them? Yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll just finish it. Carvalhoon should have had the penalty last year at Anfield, shouldn't he, when Van Dijk cleared, cleaned the most of the cop end, yeah. talking about cop end penalties. Uh, going back, sorry, I just thought to get that off my chest because we wasted two days for that. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, the, centre, the three centre defenders were excellent. I mean, that's Michael Keane's type of game, that, isn't it? Stick him, stick him in the penalty area, around the penalty spot, in the middle of the box, and he'll, he'll just sweep up everything. Um, move him 10 yards further up the pitch, slightly different story, or move, get him to get pulled out wide, different story. But if you, you put him in that, that area of the pitch, there's no pro- nobody better than the Premier League. Probably him, Adam Maguire will be probably there or thereabouts with him. He's great at that, uh, Keane. Holgate, after a couple of ropey games, was, was excellent. Um, and Ben Godfrey was just Ben Godfrey. Uh, Top class, as you would expect uh, these days, and, and that's probably one of the tackles of the season, isn't it? Yeah. On on Shakiri at the cop ends in the air, the second half, where he, he comes out of nowhere and just you know, 
you know, at speed and, and, and cleans the ball out. Yeah, tremendous performance. And, and that, uh, yeah, that second goal was a, the, the build up to that second goal was a work of art, wasn't it? You saw, yeah. you saw three or four top class actions there at once. Great clearance by Key. Tom Davis, cool. Picks out a pass. Richarlison turns the defender. Stays cool, goes through ball into Calvert Lewin as a penalty, and but that all starts from Keane's clearance. Yeah, definitely. Going back to the original points, yeah. and uh, he was he was they were all excellent um, uh, guy, and I thought he um, all deserved the win. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, Preno, you alluded to it before. I suppose now the the big thing before we wrap up is looking ahead and going forward. That now level on points with Liverpool with a game in hand. It's about capitalising on this and not letting this be the highlight of the season, and now pushing on. I agree, yeah. I mean, Carlo was quite um, astute afterwards, you know, the way he, he reflected on it. He was asked about uh, the possibility of Champions League qualification and he was almost like taking the back saying, well, no, no, Europe, Europe, let's not get too carried away. If you look at the league Carlo table, you know, six, like, well, what's that, sorry? Is that your Carlo Ancelotti impression? It was like he was in the same room as was No, there. not at all. That was just me talking there. <laughs> um, he did actually, you know, try to lower expectations a little bit. Uh, saying that European qualification is still the target. If you look at the league table, yeah, that that is you know so genuine. I still think top four is probably you know so an expectation too far. Uh, but you know, there's no harm in dreaming, is there? And you know, so having got the springboard of a result like this, if we can get two or three results back to back, who knows? You know, so maybe it could become a little bit more, more realistic as time goes on. But yeah, it's, it's got to be a springboard. This season has been a really strange season all around. We've had high points followed by spells of inconsistency. And we've got to get the home form sorted out, you know, before we can even start thinking about anything. Obviously, the next match is, you know, a home game against Southampton, who are improving very, very tough, you know, opponents this season for a number of teams. So we'll have to wait and see. But still a lot of football to be played. We mentioned it earlier. We've still got an opportunity of a, comp, you know, a cup. You know, so okay, Manchester City yeah. are absolutely on fire at the moment, but that run is going to end sometime this season, and it's still several weeks before uh, you know they're going to come to Goodison for that quarter final. So, who knows if we can, you know, so take them out of the equation? Maybe the FA Cup could become something else as well. So, a lot of excitement still, you know, so we can look forward to the rest of the season with you know great amounts of optimism, and that's entirely down to you know, so what happened at Anfield on Saturday night. Yeah, Sam, the the real plot on the the recent. Run for Liverpool is that's uh, for Everton. Sorry, after beating Liverpool oh, is the Damascus. <laughs> when you look at the the run of games, you I remember you sort of being on on the uh, podcast a few weeks back before the the Leeds and United games, saying that you can't really afford to lose either of these. Of course, got four points from those games. Obviously, the the loss at Fulham's done some damage, but coming out of games with Leeds, Manchester United, Man City, and Liverpool with only one defeat in that time and and two wins as well. It is now set up for Everton to just get this home form, sort of, as it needs to be. Yeah, it's just it's, it's the win over Liverpool, isn't it? It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where you think they're dead and then they stick like the adrenaline into them and they, they just rise. <laughs> that was what that was what the wins done for me. I was just kind of like after the Man City game, I just kind of gave up a little bit. It was just like season done for me now. When I'm not going to get Europe. Don't really want to finish seventh because that Europa Conference League sounds a little bit shady to me. I'm not really sure the second the Europa League two. Like what? What? I don't know. I don't personally think that you'd be buzzing if you finish seventh and qualify for the Europa Conference League. So you know, we know it's either going to be fourth, fifth, sixth, or 
eighth, probably. I don't even know if, if Everton would want to qualify for that in, in some ways. So the, the win over Liverpool now has got to be, you know, as we've said here, it's got to be the moment where you say, look, this is what we can do. We've beat Arsenal, we've beat Chelsea, we've beat Spurs away, we've beat Liverpool away. You know, we're starting to tick off some of these records. You know, we haven't beat Liverpool away for quite some time. We haven't beat Spurs away for quite some time. We're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. And now we've just got to start winning the games we're expected to. You know, teams below us in the league coming to Goodison, we've got to learn how to take that handbrake off a little bit and go and be able to put games to bed and beat teams 2 or 3 nil, or at the very least just beat them. You know, and stop throwing away stupid points because, you know, you can't think like this, but it is tough to sit here now and say, what if we had beat Leeds, Fulham, uh, West Ham and Newcastle, you know, and we had those 12 points, we'd be second in the table. So, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, we, we've shot ourselves in the foot quite a few times this season and, and Liverpool needs to draw a line under that. At the end of the day, even for all their injuries and everything they went through, we've still beat a team that only a few months ago was being talked about as one of the greatest uh, Premier League squads of all time, which has quickly been shown up to be not true, which is also <laughs> hilarious. Um, but, you know, that, that's got to now be the, 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 the marker for us, you know, if, to beat them. Let's try and kick on now. We've got some really big games coming up. And if we can get some more points in the bag, you know, everyone now, I think people now would say, you know, we're probably more favourites to finish in the top four than Liverpool. Who would have thought that at the start of the season? But as Preno was saying, you know, fifth or sixth, getting into that Europa League, considering Carlo, when he took us over, you know, people were still kind of considering relegation, you know, that we could get sucked into a relegation fight. What a turnaround that is in, in your first full season in charge, you know, not even 18 months at the helm. And in the middle of coronavirus times as well, you know, it's, it's staggering really the effect he's had. So, yeah, I think my, I spoke to Michael Ball for his column today and he said, look, let, we can enjoy our party. It's a good week now. You know, we don't play Southampton until Monday, but, you know, it's worth nothing now if we don't go and beat Southampton and we don't keep on picking up points. So, it's great. You know, now Liverpool, that record's gone. Let's go and see what other records we can we can now end, you know, and, and obviously the one about not winning silverware since 1995 is the biggest one and, Picking up that FA Cup at the end of the season, I think, would just be such a lift psychologically. And, you know, it's one of them, isn't it? I think City City always say, once you win a trophy like that or the League Cup, then you start thinking, you know, what else can we win? And, and, and that's what we want. You know, we've got a manager who's used to winning trophies at the helm. So now that we beat Liverpool, for me, I'd always just considered that, that was impossible, that you couldn't beat Liverpool Hanfield, that we were cursed. And Carlo's shown me the way. So I think the sky's the limit for us now. Yeah, Sam's off to watch match of the day yet again and to uh, reminisce on the 2-0 win at Anfield. That's your lot for this edition of the Royal Blue podcast from us here at the Liverpool Echo. Of course, we'll be back on Friday ahead of next Monday's game with Southampton. But from myself, Guy Clark, Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, Sam Carroll and Gav Buckland, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.